0: We're back for another edition of the Half Court Press podcast, a post Nebraska Creighton edition.
1: How are you handling it?
0: I mean you just fine. Clearly, yeah. I, yeah. You I recovered mean recovered from the It was actually kinda difficult to rewatch that game, honestly. Yeah, it kinda was. Because
1: for probably different reasons for your being. Right. Probably, I'm yeah. trying
0: to find the positives out of a game. Well, I don't know the positives I'm trying to f- I as know I was it was more I was trying to find um maybe areas of concern for the Jays out of a game where they it was over at halftime yeah. while you were trying to find the positives well i
1: was just trying to figure out like that i was trying to figure out okay what went so horribly wrong and then what went so right and how did can that how can those two things exist in the same 40 minutes of basketball yeah you know what i mean
0: uh creighton won 95 76 um we 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 wrote about it. We recorded a video on it, so we took a couple days to sort of assess it, and, and then you wrote. Let it breathe a little bit. Uh, yeah, right. Let it breathe, and then uh, and now we can kind of revisit it, but also point forward and look mm-hmm. ahead with this podcast. We'll start with Creighton, though, because obviously, yeah, when when I say it was kind of difficult to watch from my from my vantage point, I was more talking about the final twenty five minutes, mm-hmm. and it was interesting. Coach McDermott alluded to that after the game, where he was like. You know, there are examples of of mistakes that were made or a lack of focus after halftime that would drive him crazy normally. But since the Jays won a rivalry game, he wasn't going to talk about it after the game. He was like, let's just enjoy this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, With that said, the first 15, 16 minutes for Creighton were pretty exemplary on both sides of the floor.
1: Could you say perfect?
0: I wouldn't say perfect because offensively, I mean, I thought they actually gave gave up a lot offensively. Like, there were turnovers that were just silly. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Despite going up 40-9, to nine, you mean? Like yeah. Like, in that stretch?
0: Right. Turnovers that were silly, mm-hmm. missed layups, missed open threes. I mean, Nebraska mm-hmm. um, did not do a good job of getting out to the three-point line. It, it could have been worse. It probably should have been worse mm-hmm. to start the game. Um, but, I, yeah, I wonder from your perspective, because for me... The game kind of played out very similarly to many Creighton games this year. The Jays kind of uh, explode out of the gates and play extremely efficient ball from the start of the game. Have a, a bounce to their step and energy and urgency, and that kind of tapers off as they get tired as the game wears on as the opponent adjusts maybe to Creighton's pace and uh, intensity level and then the Jays just kind of have to survive. And in this mm-hmm. case, they had, they had a huge cushion, so it really wasn't that much of a struggle to survive. But um, there weren't a lot of grand takeaways Creighton related from the Nebraska game because the game played out like so many have this year. Um, but what? But it was your first time to see him live. It was. So I wonder what, what stood out to you.
1: Um, They've got three guys that I think any power five team would love to have and would start um that's Balak, Zigarowski and, and Tyson Alexander um I, I gained a lot of respect for Zigarowski after that game because he just owned it I mean he did whatever he wanted um offensively he's a little bit shorter um than maybe you would want at that position but I think he packs a punch the way that I described him in the um in the pregame blog for just kind of the matchup as he, he, he kind of plays a little bit like a boxer scorned, like a, like a East coast boxer underdog that, that, you know, gets, keeps getting these smaller fights and he just wants his chance at a prize fight yeah. or whatever. Um, like a bad Christian Bale boxer movie. Maybe I, he's, he was in a really good, I was going to say the movie. fighters, the fight, but, but like a bad one, okay. right? Like directed by like a bad, like a worse one. <laughs> right. Um, but so I really like him a lot. And I think that if you have somebody like him, and you you tie that to Tush and Alexander, you tie that to Mitch Ballack, who at any point, I think all three of those guys step onto the floor thinking they can score 30. I think that's going to take them really far. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting because Nebraska went really small and uh, Christian Bishop got into foul trouble. And so that really helped um, Nebraska in the second half. So the concerns, I think, for Creighton are kind of, okay, when you go up against some of these bigger teams in the big East, or if you get in an NCAA tournament and you, you know, for whatever reason, score, you know, Indiana or just a bigger team for whatever reason, like, can you keep up with that? And can you win a couple in there? That's, I think where the concerns are. Um, But I think in general, I was really impressed with those three. And then I was really impressed with Sharif Mitchell. Um, And I think he guarded Cam Mack better than anybody I've seen this year, guard Cam Mack. And that's, that's extremely impressive because the thing that Cam Mack can do is his first step is so quick. So if Cam Mack can get into the lane really easily, or he can shake it, and he can—he's really good on ball screens. And Sharif was just right there. Yeah. I mean, he—he he would not let Cam get into the lane. Um, and it was interesting because Cam didn't start the game because he was late to the bus. He comes on his very first play. Cam gets the ball on a so Creighton made two free throws. Cam gets the ball and goes 90 feet for a layup. And after that, it was super difficult for him to even get in the lane. Yeah, I think They'd he put, got
0: I, by Sharif on yeah. that drive. And then after that, it was, it was th- like, there
1: were points when we were sitting there. I literally was like, "This is amazing!" Like Sharif yeah. is staying with this kid. This is a true freshman. Um, so I think Creighton has a bunch of pieces that I was really impressed with.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the uh, the Marcus Segalowski element it adds a different sort of trait to this group because of his ability to just sort of put his head down and say, like, you know, we're not going to lose this game. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm going to make a play that turns the tide. That's kind of one of the things that I think the Jays struggled with last year was flipping the momentum in games where either the opponent um, had something that was just working or maybe they solved something of Creighton's that uh, was able to sort – it was they were able – the opponent was able to snatch some momentum. They needed um, a way to stop a run, you know, that kind of thing. And a lot of times they just turned to what they were good at, and and that was just shooting threes. But maybe Marcus like Rowski, his ability to work inside the lane. I mean, he was he, in his last three games, he's twenty three of twenty nine on two point field goals. Hmm. And as you said, he's not like a six five long guard. He's he's listed at six two. He's probably a little bit shorter. Um, he doesn't like play at the rim. He but he's so clever with his hips and his mm-hmm. shoulder movements can be really deceptive. And he, and, he feels
1: so comfortable at like. From like 12 to 16 feet, like he, he feels so comfortable even though that's kind of where a lot of chaos is happening. But he never feels like he's yeah. panicking. And I'd know? even say
0: even even 16, like 8 to 16 feet, mm-hmm. you know, because I think the last few games he's gotten a little bit deeper into the lane, which has caused defenses a little bit more problems. I think the Michigan game, um, the way the Wolverines defended, especially on ball screens, is they kind of invited Creighton's guards to get downhill and get to about that 8-foot range. And then Michigan's They had a huge dude, John Teske, in the center, so he kind of plugged things up from there. Um, And a lot of times Creighton's guards stopped at like 15 instead of getting a little bit deeper and engaging that big. Whether or not they were going up for a shot, if you engage him, maybe then you can uh, kick it out or find a teammate. But um, I think Marcus has done a lot better job of that lately, and it's really put a lot of pressure on teams because they want to stick to Tyshawn Alexander and Mitch Balick on the two wings or the, or in the corners, you know, like you don't want to leave those guys open, but all of a sudden you're compromised because you don't have enough defenders to, to stay in front of, of Zagorowski and keep him from slicing you up on the inside. So I think his aggressiveness and his just efficiency inside the arc has really enhanced Creighton's offense. And and I think on the long term it'll be really beneficial. So like, um, you know he it took him I think I think it may have been it might have been like six minutes before he maybe it was five minutes I can't remember exactly when he scored his first bucket against Nebraska it was like a he drove in transition and stopped at like eight and then did a turnaround jumper and that was like the start of his onslaught of just a vast array of moves and finishes whether it was layups floaters leaners short jays uh obviously he hit some threes he was the Biggie's best three-point shooter last year by percentage. So you know he can do that. But I think the other part of his game is ev- his um, his evolution as a scorer on the interior um, has really shown up this year. And, yeah, and,
1: and I think because of that, he just – he makes you make impossible decisions on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Like he, if he gets you – if he gets in the lane, you have two shooters in the corner and you've got Christian Bishop right there. You have. I'm gonna shoot it. I'm gonna lob it. Right. I'm gonna cut. T- I'm gonna what throw are you gonna to take away? Exactly. Yeah. It's like pick your poison. Yeah. Essentially, what they did, and that's what they did. to Nebraska, with the whole first half, it was just they ran that same action over and over. That you know, Christian Bishop. I think, I think he he finished one of them, but I think there were two different lobs that he could have potentially you know thrown down. But then when yeah, they just that take high that, ball, just yeah. a high ball
0: screen action. With like Mitch Balick would kind of fill in behind. Mm-hmm. For a throwback, exactly. Like if you plugged all the stuff up inside with an extra defender, then Mitch Balick's right there for a throwback pass yeah. for a three. So yeah, yeah like yeah, put him so, in a bind. So that's
1: that's one of the things too, where like, and we'll get to questions like to Nebraska later. But like, you know, a lot of people are wondering why Nebraska maybe isn't as good as the defensive team. Um, but you have to also kudos to the way that Creighton just they they eviscerated Nebraska that in that first you know sixteen minutes because they made them make impossible decisions and Nebraska had never had, had not seen that live before and made all the wrong decisions. Mm,
0: yeah. So we'll see what Creighton becomes. Like I think that this is Friday is kind of the end of one chapter starting of a new chapter for the Jays because, um, they're suddenly like Davion Mintz looks like he's really close to returning. He, he was practicing last week on a limited basis. And so the assumption then was that he'd be back in a couple weeks. Um, it might be sooner than later, later for Mintz. And Denzel Mahoney becomes eligible after Friday's game. They play Oklahoma on, on Tuesday. So it's going to be a different team for Creighton, a, a, more, a deeper team, a team that maybe has some answers for some of its deficiencies that have that it's shown early on, particularly perimeter defense. And just general fatigue and like the inability to kind of keep up the energy and tenacity for 40 minutes. So you add two really good athletes into the mix um, and, and guys who could maybe even enhance Creighton's versatility offensively too. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly the, the potential of this team kind of or the ceiling maybe even increases a little bit. And it's hard to really predict what exactly that's going to be which I think is why next week is so intriguing. But obviously, first things first, the Jays have to take care of business against UT Rio Grande Valley. Um, statistically, not a good team offensively. Rio Grande Valley's struggled mightily this season, and, and of its four wins, three have come against non-D1 opponents. So um, the assumption is, is that well, for sure, Creighton's a better team on paper, but it's the finals week. The Jays are coming off two... Or uh, a really emotional win over Nebraska they had a couple off days you know like where this team's at mentally and how engaged it is I think is mm-hmm. is worth noting and, and should get a boost with Kelvin Jones being back he was close to playing against Nebraska on Saturday the 611 reserve big man but uh Did we decide that, decide
1: cre- that Nebraska we had more scholarship available players than Creighton
0: That's, yeah I think Creighton was down to seven for mm-hmm. that game
1: and Nebraska had nine, I which think. is
0: why the start was so huge. And somebody, I, I, tw- you mentioned Sharif Mitchell, and I tweeted something like, "Oh, he's giving Creighton an important lift." And somebody kind of like was like, tweeted back at me, was like, "Yeah, oh, important lift, huh?" The Creighton's up thirty to nine or yeah. whatever, forty to nine. But I thought it was so important in the moment that Creighton started strong and then just kept pounding it. You know, like or or like you, they didn't let Nebraska breathe. I thought that was important. And Sharif came off the bench and was even another spark that just kept the onslaught going like you wanted to keep that sort of uh momentum meter if you want to call it that on your edge or your end as long as possible especially for this Creighton team which you know at some point is going to kind of hit the wall yeah and they did hit the wall in the middle of the second half but the lead was big enough that it was it was fine but I Mm -hmm. thought Sharif's ability to come in and make instant impact plays, like he wowed the crowd at times with some of his moves, mm-hmm. uh, finished that one in 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 traffic in the half court on on a take and then the one in, in transition and, and one. Like I thought Creighton's ability to just kind of keep the the pressure on yeah. Nebraska and, and keep them down was, contrary
1: to, to what you read online things uh, that happen when the score is uh, a blowout still matter even though it is a blowout yeah exactly um,
0: so yeah let's talk a little bit about the Nebraska side of things because okay. right it, it was a blowout and um and you know it could have gotten very bad I yeah. mean it was already very bad 40 to nine, but it could <laughs> yeah. but
1: like you said it could have been 52-9 right like
0: and and it could have been it could have been a 40 point final or something like that right it was Um,
1: 19 i was sitting there in the final so fred horberg has only lost one game as a head coach by more than 30 which is kind of amazing when you think about it um head college coach i should say um and so i was sitting there at the end of the game tallying up all of his worst losses he's lost by 30 once lost by more than 25 twice um and that's kind of it um and at one point it was 33 points nebraska was down and uh then it just started to slowly it was one of those things where right at the end that nebraska finished the game on a 10-0 run yeah I was so say, I it went it from was 29 t- to 19 right. like that like, yeah. um so it could have been so much worse
0: that it, it's interesting i wonder what kind of net net number creighton's gonna have i think the first rankings get revealed next week but okay. like that little spurt by it was like walk-ons and end of your bench versus, it was nobody I didn't yeah. even watch the it, line. Was, it yeah. was the end of it, it was Creighton's end of bench versus Nebraska's end of bench bench and Nebraska's end of bench won Only 10 day. to nothing and Creighton's lost that battle like four times this year oh, I really? think uh um man I wish I had my notes or Roberts me, like, right or Roberts end of the game on a 10 run like uh North Florida I think it was 11 to 6 in the final minute uh Cal Poly it might have been like I don't know, 11 to 2 or something. Mm-hmm. And then Nebraska is 10 to nothing, 12 to 2, something like that. You know, like I wonder how that's going to mess with the efficiency number for the Jays. Right. And then you factor into like the Michigan game was within five or six for most of the game. All of a sudden it, it ended at 10, and San Diego State waxed them yeah. by 30. Yeah. So I wonder um, what that does to Crane's NET number. But, uh, We'll find that out next week. Anyway, so you got, you got some questions that you want to yes um, yeah. So I think you you your idea was like, hey, this game uh, might have sent some alarm bells off in people's minds, in Nebraska basketball fans' minds. Um, I mean, it was the first sort of true test for this thing. I mean, Georgia Tech counts as a true test, but this one you saw in person, and I think a lot of people were had their eyeballs on it and were watching yeah. it. So um, I just
1: felt like I just felt like the. That game felt like, um I think in some ways we're going to talk about this season as before Creighton and after Creighton. Um, and I think after Nebraska lost the first two games, people initially were like, oh, this is going to be really bad. But there was still some twinge of like, yeah, but maybe they can beat somebody in, in March right. or February. Yeah. And they can beat some ranked team. And I think after that Creighton game where – doesn't really matter who you are you put you put a lot of thought and you put a lot I mean we 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 did two podcasts last week we wrote you know more stories people are really invested really interested and when something like that happens I think because of the impact of 40 to 9 I think a lot of people start thinking like oh maybe they won't maybe they won't win in February or March maybe I need to recalibrate and, and this is despite the fact they were four and four entering the game but I still think that in some ways that game shifted expectations for this season now I'll, just to preface, I'm not, it's nine games in. This isn't some referendum on where the program is and where Hoiberg is and if he's the guy and all this crap. Like, that's not, that's not even kind of what we're going to talk about. But what, what I'm talking about is in this contained space of like the four and five that just got their butt kicked by Creighton, what's this actually look like? So for me, I just kind of felt that there was some uh, some people that were kind of on the edge in terms of like, do I need to watch the rest of the season or can I check out? Right. Um, so I kind of threw it out there. Um,
0: because I think just to add, I think yeah. cause you and I had that moment, I think at some point in the second half where we we're just like, you know, Creighton is a, it's a good team and it's going to contend for an NCAA tournament berth, but like the big 10 has Ohio state and Michigan and
1: Indiana, Pretty well, good.
0: Indiana's Yeah. Indiana's still, no, they're not undefeated, but they,
1: they have are. lost once. Yeah. Um, but but Purdue, Purdue, like, Purdue yeah, beat the Purdue's crap out of good. Virginia.
0: And then like Maryland, did I say, I don't know if I said Maryland, and Penn state, Michigan state. Maryland and, and yeah, Penn state. I mean, the league is, is so, so loaded. Deep. It's
1: terrifying, <laughs> but, but I will, so I, I can start there. Um, I will start there. I got a question from, uh, somebody, um, I don't I really want to say their name on Twitter, but it's the, their question is over under Husker wins in the big 10. They say three, um, so here's the deal: Nebraska is projected to win two more games this year, and it's the 21st and the 29th against North Dakota and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. After that, they're supposed to lose literally the rest of their games, so that's 18 straight. Yeah, um, that's according to Ken Palm's. Like, that's to Ken Palm, His
0: yeah. like single game sort of metric. Yeah. But if you look at like his little projected record, bottom, yeah, he's given them three based on like the the season as a whole, mm-hmm. three Big Ten games to so, win but like because like there's some variance in there in yeah terms of like if so you look at thought. just the single game each game nebraska won't be favored probably right. they probably won't be ever again Big besides those two games yeah. yeah
1: but but here's my thing i think that though i i don't i think that there's a point right now where you can question whether or not they can beat michigan state or they can beat uh, a maryland at home you know st- what, this whole idea of like stealing one i don't know if that can necessarily happen but I could see them, I could see them beating Minnesota. I could see them beating Northwestern. Um, I could see them beating Wisconsin. I could see the Iowa game being more closer than you would imagine because those, because Hoiberg knows how to beat Fran McCaffrey and those two teams kind of like in some ways where, you know, with Creighton, it's a similar system. So if you just kind of play your game and you don't start the if you don't miss 23 out of your first 27 shots, like Nebraska did, or maybe 24 out of 27, yeah. then you can kind of stay in the game. Um, so I, I think that there are, there maybe isn't one signature win that like, I also think in some ways, um, not to bring up football all the time, but like, some sort of foundation was set in Scott Frost first year where maybe you scare a really good team on the road like they did Ohio State and then maybe you beat a ranked team like Michigan State and so even though you were four and eight you walk away from that season going there's progress and then we're here so I think that that is kind of what fans are looking for now the way this is set up I don't think I don't really see that happening but like I I would be surprised if it's fewer than three big ten wins like I think that they could steal a couple and I think that with that said that they'll be playing pretty well in February and March, just based on who Fred Hoiberg is, what, what they've talked about in terms of, um, in terms of what they expect from cam Mack and Gervais green and just junior college players in general, once they kind of get past the new year and they've, they've played for a little bit in terms of team chemistry, in terms of true freshmen that are playing with Kevin cross. Um, I think that they will be able to win at the very least three or four big 10 games and, 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 I think the goal right now is probably to win 10 games on the season.
0: Chris, that schedule is I know it's rough. horrible. It's very I'm very rough. I'm just looking at it right now and I'm like if they don't steal one against Rutgers or Iowa at home, like it could be very dismal so I'm gonna, by February. Uh, I'm you gonna, know like I'm gonna run through and then it, yeah. how are they
1: I know. So, mentally? I know. So I'm going to run through it because because you make a good point. So they currently this Friday they play Indiana and then they have to come back and play Purdue on Sunday, which is horrible. They then play two they play North Dakota and Texas and Corpus Christi. Then they have a home game against Rutgers on January third. That's, in my opinion, a winnable game. It's a yeah. That's I don't a, think Rutgers is very good. They, the, they are the matchup problem. They are the... absolutely gigantic. Yeah. They are they are ma- they right. are like the they are like a forest.
0: They might have forty offensive rebounds.
1: Yes. But <laughs> if you can limit them to like twenty second <laughs> chance points, maybe you got shot. So I think that Rutgers is somewhat uh, so it goes Rutgers, Iowa, Northwestern. Northwestern I don't think is great. But on the road, Northwestern. On the road, yeah. Northwestern. Sleepy Jim. Then you get Ohio State. Then Indiana. Then on the road against Wisconsin. Rutgers on the road as well, which they lost last year. Then you get Michigan at home, Penn State at home, Iowa away, Maryland away. Wisconsin at home, Michigan State at home, Illinois Ohio State again at home, Northwestern at home, and then finish it on the road. Michigan on the road, Minnesota. That Minnesota game is on Sunday, and then Nebraska will likely play Wednesday in the, in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, like so, so, so you're going to have to steal some road even, games. They don't
0: even get Minnesota at home, which no, is no. the Minnesota would be the team that a lot of people have targeted as, uh, and like Northwestern, another team that people are targeting at the bottom of the Big Ten they don't get them at home until the end of the season, basically. Right?
1: Yeah, like, correct. They don't play, they don't get to play. So they're There's going to be a stretch there where you play Michigan, Penn state, Iowa, Maryland, Wisconsin, Michigan state, Illinois, Ohio state. That's where it gets yeah. really tough. That's where you have to steal a game. You know, you have to steal that Wisconsin game or something to just kind of keep it going or get, or keep it close. Right. Because if all of these are like 20 point losses, that's when it starts to get pretty, pretty dull. But I think in general they can win three it's gonna be hard it's gonna I, be this gonna be hard um, hold on no, there was a it. question I wanted to ask you that we got um, it's just this general question of what is this Nebraska basketball team good at mm. is there anything that you saw that you think that they're good at
0: well I thought that their ability to get downhill and put pressure on teams on the perimeter just with their drivers was something. I mean, Creighton had some issue with that in the second half, partially because I think Creighton's players sort of checked out a little bit. They weren't as focused. The level of engagement, the level of engagement that Creighton had at the start of the, the game kind of took Nebraska out of what it wanted to do. It was, it was harder for Nebraska to drive maybe than they thought it would be mm-hmm. to, to weave through, like all of a sudden they get by their guy, then there's another player there. And then they're just like, all right, let me just shoot this three.
1: Yeah, they're like, oh, yikes. Oh, this is tough. Oh, okay, I'm just going to go. So a
0: combination yeah. of Creighton maybe drop off and focus, but also Nebraska's like increase, um, an increase of sort of urgency. Like I, I thought Hanif Cheatham, Cheatham? Cheatham. Cheatham. Mm-hmm. Like his, he looked like a different player in the second half. And I thought that that to me, um, like his change was the most glaring. Of all of the players, maybe 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 Burke as well, but uh, that's like that's what they have to have every game, and mm-hmm. they and they are good at that. They're good at that. They're good at getting to the free throw line, and you know they got to make those shots, obviously. But even but just getting there, just a place getting there is, and is, putting yeah. other teams like, getting you know getting them in foul trouble. There's lots of benefits to getting to the free throw line, obviously. Um, so to me, that that is their best sort of trait, and also like scoring in transition i mean you got to get a stop first obviously mm. but if you can get out and run like they they feel they look really comfortable with that and then they start like there's you see this energy um that starts exuding from them they definitely like ride the momentum wave in good good and bad yeah. but like when it's rolling really good like they that's that's um that's that's where they can be dangerous so. See, I'm
1: glad I asked you that because I don't know if I, I agree with you but I that's not the first thing I thought of I think the thing that they are good at is when they decide they were going to go as Fred Hoiberg calls it north-south they're going to go straight toward the bucket and we're not just going to you, know, f- you know swing the ball on the three to yeah. actually get up and down that's where they're, I think they're good at that so where I think that this team's actually good they don't turn the ball over a ton they do turn the ball over but not a ton yeah, they're 32nd they're and turnover percentage uh, per possession and um, I would compare this basketball team to a football team that averages like seven or eight yards per carry, but has the worst red zone offense of all time, and they can't score. But that doesn't mean that it's not important that they have seven yards per carry, right? So Nebraska's 16th in average possession length and 27th in adjusted tempo, so that's possessions per 40 minutes. That's where they want to be. Like, that's what they want to do, is they want to run. And when Nebraska decides to run, which early on, they're pretty slow, but from, like, the 16-minute mark to the end of the second half, or the end of the half, they're usually pretty good at causing some turnovers, we're going to get out in transition, we're going to go. And there is usually a point sometimes, it's generally when Camac is not the point guard, where, you know, they will... After, a, after an opponent make or whatever they'll kind of walk it up a little bit and Fred is always saying let's hey let's go like yeah. we, we want to be all going all the time. that's why this isn't in the ten, in the tens which is where he wants it to be. when at Iowa State their best team they were second in average length of position. I mean they want they want to go and that's why his favorite plays the whole year have been on makes even on makes they've been able to get out and transition on their side so that's the one thing where they're pretty much exactly where they want to be in terms of pace. And that's what they're good at. And that's not something that, like, just because you're fast doesn't necessarily mean that you're good. But because you're fast, that's where you can... It's almost like, you know, a checkpoint in, like, a video game or something where you're at least here. And you don't have to do these things to try and formulate, you know... At le- now that you're here and you know that you're fast, now you... Okay, here's how, here's what we're looking for in transition when we do get there. Like when we are getting this, this kind of, you know, these looks. This yeah. is what we need to do on a 411. And so... That's what I would say. They're actually
0: yeah. The structure is not always great, as you pointed out mm-hmm. on and on Twitter. I think in transition, yeah. like it, it is sort of a little bit of a hodgepodge at times. But they definitely just have this sort of uh there's confidence that that seems to start spreading when they can can move fast and put pressure on teams that way. And I mean, it's easier to score in transition one, but it, like for this team, given its challenges in terms of like. You know that they don't have an interior presence and sometimes the shooting can be hot and cold mm-hmm. the half court offense can sometimes bog down as it did against Creighton to start the game yeah they they're not great at it. so if you gotta they, have, they gotta they get out and run yeah you if get they some.
1: don't have their first look they generally don't know quite how to kind of retool yeah. um, I'm gonna throw a quick Creighton, Creighton question at you yeah should Creighton schedule Omaha next year
0: know yeah um well, I would love to see it. I'd love to see Nebraska play UNO too. I
1: agree. I think all three teams need to play. To get, it needs to be like everybody plays each other like a round robin.
0: It'd be fun. The counter argument I would say, and it's the same argument that I'd use for Nebraska if I were on their coaching staff, is like what's the, what do you gain? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fun for fans and fun for us, but Creighton and Nebraska, like the way that I've kind of phrased it is like these teams, they're not Duke and North Carolina who are in the NCAA tournament every year. If you look at Creighton's track record over the last 10 years, like it's been an NCAA tournament team five or six times, but most of those instances, it's like barely been on the right side of the bubble. Or, you know, it maybe it's not exactly on the bubble, but it's just off it. Or if Creighton has missed the tournament, it's just been on the wrong side of the bubble. So essentially, Creighton's a bubble team annually. Mm-hmm. And Nebraska the same way. When it's been in the tournament, it's like just snuck in. Mm-hmm. Or, or we, have there have been a couple ago, yeah. couple times when Nebraska's just missed. So Nebraska's a bubble team. So when you're a bubble team, you have to be very conscious of your schedule, your resume, and how the committee is gonna look at it. And in my mind, the committee is not gonna give Nebraska or Creighton brownie points for scheduling UNO. The committee's gonna look at UNO um, the same way it would look at a game against Oral Roberts or South Dakota State. And that game, if, if Creighton's hosting Oral Roberts, if you compare that to what, the intensity level and the difficulty the degree of difficulty that that Creighton would have in terms of playing UNO at home or Nebraska doing the same thing it's so far and away different the challenge that Creighton and Nebraska would have playing their uh, the the in-state school that feels snubbed that has a chip on its shoulder that's motivated that's versus, good too. versus another team that yeah that's that that is that's certainly capable versus another team that's at the same level but just doesn't have that same motiva- motivation factor I mean the difference in the degree of difficulty of Creighton and Nebraska playing UNO versus Oral Roberts mm-hmm. is tenfold, yeah. and the committee's not going to see it that way. So I think that's the, that's the argument. I, if, you're, if you if you want to see that game, I think you have to hope that Nebraska and Creighton rise to a level to where they can withstand a resume um, like where their coaches feel like, okay, we, if we lose it, it's not the end of the world. We can take the hit. And you know, still, we like we're not going to be sitting there on Selection Sunday. Like, why did we schedule you yeah. Because that killed us. Yeah, you know. So I think,
1: um, I think it would be great to see. It but would it's be just, fantastic. It
0: just doesn't. If you're talking about these, you know, these two teams, it's it's hard to it's hard to justify. Yeah,
1: I think the only way that because of what you said. And I completely agree with the only way that you're able to do it now is if you're, if you, if you're Nebraska or you're Creighton, you schedule a home and a home or a home and away uh, with Kansas or Kansas state yeah. or Iowa state or, um, some top power five school, like not, I mean you're not going to get Duke or Kentucky, but like Yukon or bringing bringing it like get it basically counteracting your, this bad win even if it's a win against this like bad team with like a really good loss you know what i mean so like br- playing kansas every year or playing uh oklahoma or texas you, you just just be able to like counteract that and bill moose has said you know it's football he wants to play all those schools right. so if you it, could make a deal with basketball i think that's the way that's the only yeah. way if you can counteract that game but the
0: way that basketball teams schedule these days i mean think about it um if you're in nebraska you have 20 league games so that leaves you yeah. with 11 non-conference games left and you don't want to and then three or four of those are in exempt tournaments you got the big 10 acc challenge uh the gavit games is still going on and then you have the creighton the creighton game so suddenly we're talking about you're down to like five games yeah or six games that you can schedule and you don't and given you know you want to get wins right uh so a lot of those are home games that you feel like we got to win these games mm-hmm. and there's just not a lot of room for it yep. so it, I, I it's agree. it's unfortunate, but. Um, it sure would be awesome to see, um, maybe, maybe someday. I'm, I'm going to finish with
1: two questions that are the same question basically, but I want to read them um, to you. Um, this one says, "So I asked what they were excited about, what they're worried about." This person says they Aaron says he's excited. Nebraska has three D1 transfers waiting for next year, alongside some already talented guys. Worried? How many guys jump ship this year? There's a couple that Nebraska really can't afford to lose. The other one says, even though Iowa State. This is from Trevor. Uh, he says, even though Iowa State made the tourney in Hoiberg's second year, doesn't mean the Huskers will. Those expectations seem very premature based on how this team looks, even with three set out transfers. Agree or disagree? Um, so I made a metaphor in my co- in my column on Monday that did get made fun of in the comments, which I did appreciate. Uh, somebody told me it wasn't the live section, um, which, which was a good dig. But basically, and I think people can disagree with this. Uh, they can just, they're happy to disagree with me whenever they want. Um, I view Nebraska's talent like baking cookies, right? So when you're baking cookies, you've got the butter and the sugar and the brown sugar and all that stuff, and then when you crack an egg on top of that, if you just look at that, that doesn't look like a cookie at all. It's kind of gross. And it just, you're like, this is, this doesn't look like anything, but once you stir it and once you kind of start feeding, the longer you stir, it starts to look like batter and then you pour it. And it's like, okay, this, this looks like a cookie, right? I think where Nebraska is right now. They have, it just looks like this hunk of ingredients. It doesn't make any sense. And I think what we don't appreciate enough is imagine if you are the other metaphor I try and use to explain this, I think is imagine if you were, like a, like a brand-new high school sh- opens up. I don't think I've used this on this podcast, but a brand-new high school sh- opens up. You're a JV basketball coach at this brand-new school, and you get 13 different players from 13 different middle schools. This is a big school. Um, and you have to create a basketball team. That's going to take time. And it's that on a larger level. And even if you handpicked the 13 guys, you don't know what it's going to look like until they actually get on the floor. So that's why I thought it was so... Interesting that when Monte Kavass was playing the five, something that they have never done this year, hardly ever. He less than three percent of Nebraska's possessions, he's played the five. And for a lot of reasons. But whenever he did play, that was when they played really well. Yeah. And that's one of those things that like Nebraska's a like Nebraska's a bad basketball team, okay. And so I don't want to come across of like trying to apologize for their their badness. They're not good. They're only like me saying like lobbying for them to win three Big Ten games. It's not lost on me that that's only three Big Ten <laughs> yeah. games, and there's twenty of them, right. Right? right? But what I'm saying is is like this is a process that with basketball you can only learn, similar to journalism, you can only learn by while you're while you're doing it. Nebraska can only learn that Matej Kivas works at the five by putting him at the five in a game, right? And so I think that there's that element of they're still trying to figure out how to put all these ingredients in a bowl and it, and how to actually get it going. You also, I think, have to understand Nebraska has three transfers sitting on the bench right now, one of whom they think is a first-round NBA draft pick. They think Delano Banton is that good, and I think he's that good. So you've got that – so there's talent. Number two, you've got Derek Walker, who went to Tennessee. He knows what it takes. He's been on NCAA tournament teams before. He's a pretty good shooter. He's a big guy that's going to fit right into the Big Ten. And Shamil Stevenson, who, again, is a player that Eric Musselman really liked, who you know played at Pitt, played at Nevada. He'd fit in exactly. I think all three of those guys could be starters. So it's one of those things where it's like you've got your starting five still kind of on the roster right now. You pick those three plus you know maybe Cam Mack and – Deshaun Burke or KMAC and Javay Green, like, if you start to look at next year, I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten. I'm not saying they're going to win the big, you know, that they're going to go to the NCAA tournament next year and win a game. But what I'm saying is, is, like, this isn't really the time to start, like, oh, everything is horrible and everything is terrible. Because you also have to add to the element of, like, neef Cheatham is a senior. He's going to leave. Mate Gavas is a senior. He's going to leave it's college basketball. You could probably throw in maybe one, two other people that could transfer just cause that's kind of the way things go. Um, but I still think in general, it is really bad right now. They're not good at all, but that doesn't mean that the plan that they still have in place doesn't still, you, you, that you couldn't still kind of convince yourself that, okay, next year it's going to look a little bit better just be, even based on what they currently have. And that doesn't even take into account freshmen they could bring in or transfers they could bring in for next year. So, um, I think that, you know, in terms of the question about transfers, I wouldn't be surprised if there was one or two guys leave. Uh, Samari Curtis has already left. They have a ton of scholarship availability. Like, they can do that. I would imagine
0: that they kind of prepared for some of that, Yeah, for sure. I think you have to. I feel like we talked about last spring about how they were selling playing time. And let me tell you, if you sell playing time to 13 different guys, Yeah. Someone's going to be like, hey, hold up.
1: Uh, well, we saw that.
0: that. <laughs> yeah, What about that blind Yeah, I, because... so you
1: told me I could play, and then <laughs> yeah. like, I'm coming in with two minutes <laughs> right. left. So what's going on yeah. here? Um,
0: well, I was just looking at Iowa State's because someone made the comparison. Okay, well, just because he did it at Iowa, Iowa State, don't assume success here. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I feel like you can still – I'm assuming success based on, on Horvitz's track record because I don't know what else to base it on. Sure. Um, but – the two things that stood out to me were that first year um they didn't lose the teams like southern utah and uc riverside so that would to me signal that the building process and the accumulation of talent process is a little bit behind where they were in year one at iowa state uh just to make that to make that comparison so the um,
1: they only lost two games in the non-com. They lost right. to Northern Iowa and again, Yeah, and
0: they, and they got wins over Iowa, Creighton, Drake, you know, like. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Virginia. For I mean, be, that was before Virginia was Virginia. Yeah, but beat they be, Virginia. They did beat Virginia. So
0: it's like the rebuilding process or the straight-up building process because it felt like they just tore everything down. Um, that's going to take more time. And so I do think it is – it probably is unreasonable at, after now that we've seen this for a month – and we know what they have that they uh, to think that, oh, they're just, yeah, year two, it's fine. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be solved, even with the addition of better players um, sit out transfers like there's still going to be some growth n- next year. And p- perhaps that timetable needs to be stretched out. Um, the other thing was like, man, it was rough in the Big 12 for, for Fred Horberg that yeah. year, that first year.
1: Well, and I was going to say they, they lost 12 of 13 that year. They lost 10, ga- 10 straight games that year. Yeah, they were... And I think that's one thing that we, that like, I think we, not to railroad, but like, we oversimplify what, that, what year one was. We just say, oh, well, they went 500 and yeah. then they moved on. Right. But what we don't talk about is the fact that they lost 10 straight games. Yeah. And, and that's, that happened. And so you have, to, you have to understand they won 13 games before New Year's and then they won three the rest of the year. Right. So like, that first year didn't go perfectly either.
0: Yeah. And so I would imagine that like, yeah, the, the blueprint is different. At Nebraska, but it's also the general theme of it's the same. And I think that Hoiberg and his staff know what to expect, or how to maybe even how to handle. I guess tragedy is what it would be. I mean, mm-hmm. that I would feel like it for a lot of those players. I would think like it's just totally agonizing stretch of play, where like and what it projects to be for Nebraska this year in the Big Ten, where things are just not going right, and you're losing a lot, and it's hard to understand like what we're building toward yeah and i would imagine that fred horberg and his staff have a good idea of how to handle that so we'll see but
1: yeah sure uh, well and and that's the thing is we everybody not to bring up football again but uh, but nationally people really thought that year two scott frost was going to go super well and it didn't yeah and so i think in some ways that's maybe why people are kind of hesitant to be like well year 2 hoiberg like let me let's prove it and they're currently not proving it so how but i think a lot of the things yeah. that I they're going to be like, next I year are not what they currently the
0: expectation are. of seeing a better nebraska team in year 2 versus year 1 is for sure going to happen they absolutely they will be more talented group, the but,
1: minute that this season is over than they current, like yeah. just with the people that they have on the roster currently
0: yeah um but to what degree of impact that has uh-huh. that's kind of to be determined and, and, it, and uh, it might depend on how much some of these guys like Cam Mack um, Burt Green, how much better they become or how much more comfortable they become at this level because yeah. they are sort of learning on the fly one quick more quick and, thing. and cross and, and way Drago too.
1: but 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 those three in particular the way that Zigorowski, Mitch Ballack and Tasha and Alexander play is interesting to me because I think all three of those guys, and you might disagree with me a little bit, because but because you know them better. But I think all three of those guys have pretty pretty damn similar games. Do you agree with that? In some ways, they're well, all they, they can, can shoot. All, they can all score it kind of well, but they can they have a little bit different offensive you know talents. They're, but they're, I think in general, to get those three guys to play together the way they do is pretty impressive. The way that yeah. Cam Mack, Deshaun Burke, and Gervais Green currently play together. It's not quite the same now. It's you've got years of experience versus brand new, but that's kind of what I'm talking about too. Where like Cam Mac runs down the floor. That, I mean that that transition bucket that both if both if I can figure it out and Nick Ba had a better kind of ex- explanation on Twitter about like what exactly was going on. But if I can know, if I know and I can tell that Cam mac is running on Twitter and he doesn't really – he's running in transition. He doesn't really know where Anif Chidim and Matagavaz and Deshaun Burke are going to be, and, like, all of them end up in the same spot. That's just basically – you're not going to see that next year. It's just those type of – all three of those, you know, Burke, Cam, Gervais, playing together and not trying to kind of do their own thing. And it's getting better over the past month or so. Um, But it's just kind of those small evolutions that I think that you'll see over this season and next season.
0: Right. Very good. Well, uh, we will. I think our plan is to be back one or to record again one more time before Christmas, mm-hmm. and then um, and then we'll kind of turn off. Uh, I mean, the Big Ten starts for Nebraska this weekend. Um, hello, yeah, <laughs> here it is. Yeah, but we'll probably do a little bit more extensive, sort of like Big Ten roundup and look ahead after Christmas, sure. same for the Big East, and kind of assess where the teams are after their holiday break. So. Um, w- well, we always end the pod with a prediction. Oh, of yeah. Nebraska and Creighton. I don't know. I mean, I feel like Creighton would win by 19. Yeah, points-ish. like, like
1: 90, 95,
0: 76. Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah, like a late 10 0 run at the end by, by <laughs> some walk ons, uh, really kind of closing the gap.
0: If they played, Creighton would win. All right, Chris, thanks for your time. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs>